take our Bibles and go to one of the better known Psalms, Psalm 139, Psalm 139, and we'll work our way, Lord willing, through this entire Psalm tonight. And uh, this is one of the Psalms when people ask questions and don't have answers about the origins of life. Well, God, God has some things in His Word that tells us what God thinks and what He knows about life. And we start in verse 1. This is a Psalm of David. And uh, if you want, to, want a title or something, this Psalm would be the Omniscience or the All-Knowing God. And I'll tell you what, I'm glad that God knows more than I do. Amen? Uh, sometimes we get the idea that uh, the Lord is doing something and we would like to help Him out a little bit. Uh, we'd like to give Him instruction because He's not doing things quite the way that we think He ought to. And that happens to all of us on occasion. And, uh, of course, we know what the answer is. Uh, God doesn't need any help. Uh, but we sure do from time to time. Uh, we just need to refocus on who the Lord is. And that's what this psalm is. And we start here, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down And art acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. And this is the first verse we might say, or the first group of of verses in this psalm. And I, I love the, as the psalm starts, it says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. You know, God does not operate on uh, guesses and assumptions. I'm sure you've all seen that little poem, Everyone is so busy jumping to conclusions and leaping to this and and dashing to that that they never get anything done about the office. But uh, the Lord, He's taken time. He knows who I am. I think of that song that Assurance sings, He knows my name. Uh, the Lord talks out to us. He knows. And David says, listen, Lord, that you know me. You know everything uh, about me. You know my down-sitting, my uprising. Thou understandeth my thought afar off. Now, there's a, a lot of things that happen. If you get close enough to somebody, you can pretty much figure out what they're thinking a lot of times. Isn't that true? I mean, if you're a parent, uh, you, can, you can tell what that kid is thinking 90% of the time. And they look at you, how do you know what I'm thinking? I'm your parent. You are an open book. Uh, many times because we know what we would be thinking in the same situation. 
but the, God's, uh, David says about God, you don't have to get close to know what I'm thinking. You don't have to watch me. You know every word I'm going to speak. You know every thought I'm going to think. Verse, uh, verse 5 says, Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Now, most of us living in New York City are familiar with Patrick of Ireland. In fact, he is the quote-unquote patron saint of New York City, and they go on and on about that. I kind of like the fact that the Catholic Church has picked a Baptist preacher for its patron saint. Amen? And uh, certainly Patrick was not a Catholic. There is no evidence that he ever sprinkled anyone or anything. That practice did not come into being until 200 years after, Catholic, after Patrick was dead. Uh, Patrick immersed believers. And he had um, um, a, a thing made up that he wore around him. Some of you have heard the hymn, Christ be beside me, Christ be before me, Christ be behind me. Uh, it's a beautiful song and uh, Gaelic melody and all of those wonderful things that are connected to Ireland. But he's echoing Psalm 139, verse 5 right here. Thou hast beset me behind and before. The, what that simply means, the word beset is often used in a military strategy uh, of placing troops in a certain area so that the enemy would fall into the ambush. And David is saying, listen, there's no place that I can go that the Lord hasn't been there first. He's all around me. His hand is on me. And then he summarizes this first uh, set of verses by saying, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Now, I want you to think of what, what he means by this. He's saying, I serve a God that takes time to know everything about me. What did Jesus say? He said, the Lord knows the number of hairs on your head. I would dare say not a one of us in this room, unless you've just shaved your head completely bald, would know the number of hairs on your head. Amen. And yet the Lord knows that about us. And He keeps, apparently He keeps track. That's how well the Lord knows you. Now stop and think about the gods that are mentioned in, in all the religions of the world. This is what Jesus meant in John chapter 10 when He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they know my voice, and they follow me. Jesus saying, listen, there is a relationship here. And David, a thousand years before Jesus was born and lived on this earth, as a man, of course, he is the eternal God, says that God knows everything about me. Not only this, he goes into the next set of verses here, verses 7 through 12. And he said, there is no place that I can go 
to escape the oversight and direction that God gives. He says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? It would have done Jonah a little bit of good to have been a little more familiar with Psalm 139 than apparently he was. Because he found out that no matter where he went, even in the belly of the whale, the Lord was still there and the Lord was still directing. And David, of course, waxes eloquent here in the poetry. In the comparison, he said, if I ascend up into heaven, well, that's where God lives. Amen. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. And the darknesses and the light are both alike unto thee. You know, I read those verses and I think of several years ago they had uh, a group of miners, I believe it was in Chile, that were stranded two miles under the ground. And of course, everybody gave them up for lost. And if you remember, they drilled a vent hole... And they made contact with them. And how many days were they there secluded in the darkness? Some of them half submerged in water in that place until they could drill a hole big enough where they let down a stretcher and begin to pull them out one by one. An amazing story. And one of the things that they said kept them alive was singing hymns down there. And thinking about God and knowing that the God that created this earth could see right through the rock. They were not hidden. As far as man can understand, the darkest darkness that you can experience is underground in a, uh, in a cave or one of those things because there is no light that penetrates. It is utter darkness. You think you see things. But you can't because your eyes will not work where there is no light. And uh, David said, even if I find myself in that situation, listen, the light and the dark. Now stop and think of it, are both alike. You remember creation where he separated the light from the darkness? Aren't you glad we don't live there now? That light and darkness don't mix that whenever light comes on, darkness flees. You will never have the dark put out of light. But every horror story they write about is like that. You know that? It's always the dark, the dark, the dark, the dark. But the dark never puts out the light. It's always the light that moves the darkness away. And that's the way God has made it so that we can understand just a little bit about Him. These things are so incredible that we talk about them, we read them, we understand the words, we understand what God's saying, but 
do we really get it? Because now he's going to take it to another level. Look at verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins. Now the reins, of course, if you think about that word in modern time, you think of a horse and and the leather straps that come from the bridle so that you can direct the horse. The old English word means your thought process or your will. It, It says that God has possessed my reins, my mind, the way I think, the way I understand things, my ability to perceive reality and make decisions based on that. It says, thou hast possessed them, thou hast covered me where? In my mother's womb. Tell you what, there is darkness in the mother's womb. You are secluded, and that is a good thing, and protected from all the things that are in the world. And, and, and they tell us that, listen, you, you need to talk to your baby before the baby is born. And, uh, of course, uh, when little Peter was, uh, who is now big Peter, uh, was in his mother's womb. We were preparing for deputation. We were practicing music. And, and uh, so we thought for sure he would just be very musical when he was born. And uh, every time she'd get that guitar out to play, he'd start screaming. And uh, so we figure he must not have liked her bending over to play the guitar while uh, he was inside. And he's going to complain. I mean, every time I would take my coat and lay him in Mama's guitar case and just put the coat over the case so he couldn't see anything. And eventually he'd go to sleep while we practiced and worked hard. Uh, but uh, he certainly had a reaction. It just wasn't the one we were thinking about. And uh, But little children hear and know things. They learn your voice even before they're born. And the Bible says that God possessed his thought patterns. He said, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Now, David did not know about the DNA code and all of those things that we know about today. He had not understood the human genome. But don't you think he did a pretty good job of describing it right here? He said that my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret. He said, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect in thy book, all my members were written. God knew what color hair David would have, how long he would live. Everything about his life 
before he was born. Now, there's some interesting applications here. People ask, when does life begin? Well, if God knew all of these things before David was completely formed in his mother's womb, that tells us only one logical conclusion. Life begins at conception. And with all of our scientists and with all of our knowledge, no one can tell, unless they do it in a test tube, no one knows when conception occurs. We just don't know. I mean, you can do all kinds of medical tests to know when uh, you're... Uh, time to conceive is most likely, and they have all these different things that you can do, but it's still one of the mysteries of the human race. And life begins at conception. One cell, and yet everything is written in that one cell. God knows. And you stop and you think about, I, I remember when I was in, in high school, and I don't know if it was just because I wasn't listening, but I, I, I think I remember uh, the, the teacher and, and this, I love science. And I remember learning that we had about 10, or actually it was 3 billion cells in our body. And then I read in a modern book that we have 10 trillion cells in our body. And yet, how many of you have ever tried to work a needle and thread and got the needle into the wrong bit of material, talking about a fingertip? You know, you're not disturbing that many cells. But it sure feels like it now, doesn't it? I mean... When you consider the portion of cells that you are disturbing with that little splinter or that needle, considering your whole body, and yet your entire body can react very violently to running a... Uh, well, it gives me shivers just talk about it. How many of you have ever run a splinter up under your fingernail? I mean, that just... Oh! I mean, and, and everything stops... Until you get it dug out, or if you're in my family, they all come to dead to have the finger uh, have the splinters dug out, and uh, the yet God put us together. We truly are fearfully and wonderfully made. I like the joke they tell about the scientists getting together and said, "God, we finally figured out how to make our own man." We don't need you anymore. And God says, really, do you want to have a man-making contest? And the scientist says, yes. And he reaches down and picks up a handful of dirt. And God says, get your own dirt. I just like that. You see, we think we know a lot. But we don't. And life is so precious. Sometimes we wonder why our loved ones have to suffer. Sometimes we wonder, you know, we stop and think about Mrs. Wilson and how long she lingered in that nursing home there in Springfield, Missouri, 
just year after year, and I go in sometimes, and she'd be just almost in an unconscious state, wouldn't wouldn't even acknowledge that I was there. And the next time, she'd be sitting up in her wheelchair, and smiling and laughing and talking and remembering things, that, and you just couldn't imagine all that. And finally, she's now home with with the Lord in glory. You say, why all that time? Because God wants to teach us something. We do not have control of life and death. That's God's realm. And life is precious. We, we need to be careful that we don't prolong death with some of our technology. But we have to understand it is our job to prolong life. It is always our first priority. And that life begins when that genetic code is formed. That's at conception. Everything is there. You can't erase it. You can't deny the potential life that is there. And God counts that. And David says, even in my mother's womb, as this little mass of cells... Oh, I I just get upset when they call that a fetus. It's not a fetus. It's a baby. It's not just a something. It's a child. And we need to understand that God knows what He's doing. And we need to trust Him. There's some dark waters sometimes families have to walk through. Let me tell you something. God knows. You hold on to Him because He has the answers. He is the one that holds life and death. And that's what He's saying here in these last two verses. How precious also are they thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. He said, if I should start to try to count them, they're more than the sand of the sea. I'm going to count them till I fall asleep. And when I wake up and try to start again, I'm going to find out I still have so far to go that I'll never, ever finish. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God that is being praised in this psalm. And then we come down to the last few verses of this psalm. And and it kind of takes a very strange turn. But we'll find that it is well connected with the rest of it. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wicked, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, something we can understand about God is He is going to judge the wicked. He is not going to let them get away with it. And something that we need to remember is you know, sometimes we, we understand the things of the Bible to a point to where we misunderstand the things of life. We are to love our friends. Amen. What are we supposed to do with our enemies? 
We're supposed to love our enemies according to Jesus Christ. But you need to understand something. That doesn't mean that they stop being your enemies. That's what David's talking about here. There are people who live in this world who would count it a joy to end the life of a Christian. That's just the way they operate. That's what they think. And we have people who try to say, oh, that's not true. If we could just sit down and and talk together. Does anybody remember that movie they made about the little pig that wanted to be a sheepdog? I think it was called Babe or something like that. And and, uh, cute little movie. Absolute nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Little little pigs can't be sheepdogs. They don't talk to each other. Animals don't communicate in the way that you and I do. There is no reason involved with animals. And yet the whole gist of that movie is no matter what our differences, if we can just talk about them, we'll solve our differences. I, I wish we could get the people in the State Department to understand that that doesn't work. Uh, it would have solved a lot of problems in Iraq, solved a lot of problems in Afghanistan and different places in the world. Just because you talk doesn't mean you're friends. There are enemies out there. And there's only one way to deal with someone who has avowed to be your enemy and doesn't want to do anything different. You keep loving and obeying God. That's the way to deal with them. Guess what? He's going to be around longer than your enemies. Amen? And David says, I hate them with a perfect hatred. Why? Because they are the enemies of God. He says, I count them my enemies because they're your enemies. Talking about God. And then the last two verses... There's a hymn in our hymn book that uses these very words, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David was praying for two things here. Number one, he was praying for conviction. You know, sometimes we struggle with sin in our lives, and there's a reason why we struggle with it. It's because we like it. We, we like sin. It's our nature to like sin. And David here prays. He says, search me, O God, and try, know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. What he's saying here is, Lord, I want you to convict me. I remember a preacher, one of the preachers at Heartland, preaching a sermon on this very subject, on conviction. And uh, actually, I believe it was uh, Brother Rich Farinella preached the sermon. He pastors in Washington State. Uh, Count him a dear friend, a great, great sermon on conviction. 
And he told the story as a young man, just an assistant pastor in training. He was uh, actually driving around an evangelist, and they were going to witness to some people. And he said the, the evangelist went in, and they started talking to this guy, and he invited him in. And he said, even before they got started, the guy just closed his Bible and says, we're done, walks out. And he goes, what's wrong? And he says, no conviction. He said, the guy's not listening to me at all. So we're not going to waste our time. They go to another one. And man, it's a big old gruff guy. And, and, and he tells the story about being afraid and, and, and just being nervous, even being in the house with this guy. And they started talking and the guy went on for an hour. And he said, conviction. He said, before long, that big old man started, tears started running down his eyes. Now, tears is not always a sign of conviction. But oftentimes it is. And he said, they stayed there and, and led that man to the Lord. You know why? Because of Holy Spirit conviction. If there's, if there's something we need in our lives, if there's anything missing, this is one of those things. And this is the end of the psalm. David is talking about all the wonderful things that God knows about us. How that He knew everything before we were born in, in the darkest and hidden parts of, uh, of the world, even in the mother's womb as He was formed. There's no place in this universe that He can flee and God not be there. God knows everything I do, everything I think, everything before I say it. God already knows it. He said, God, I want you to convict me. I want you to try me. You know something? If we prayed that prayer, do you think God would answer that prayer? I believe He would. That's why it's in here. Were there some wicked ways in David's life? Unfortunately, David is a shining example there with a certain passage, portion of his life. And the worst thing was, David was so busy trying to cover up his sin that he forgot all about God until the prophet said, Thou art the man. Convict me. And then it says, And lead me in the way everlasting. He's praying for two things. Number one, he's praying for conviction. Number two, he's praying for direction. He says, Lord, convict me and then fix it. That's what God loves to do. I mean, that's what the Apostle Paul said. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Number one. Doctrine? Hmm? We're getting it all mixed up. Let's turn there and read it carefully. First Timothy, sorry, Second Timothy, I believe, 3.16. Second Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, 
That's what we preached about this morning. God's doctrine, what is true, what we should believe enough to live, what we should never compromise no matter what. For reproof, reproof is blame expressed to the face. Uh, Doctrine will reprove us. For correction, once we know what's wrong, now we got to make it right. For instruction in righteousness, once we've made it right, we need our life changed so that we don't repeat the same things over and over again. You know, one of the things I just hate about merry-go-rounds is you're not going anywhere. It's always around the circle. After so many times of seeing the same faces and the same things, I start getting a little motion sickness. Uh, I, I just don't like that. I don't like spinning around in circles. One of the most dangerous things, and yet the most natural thing that will happen to you if you ever get lost in the woods, is you will naturally wander in a circle, just like a rabbit. Rabbits run in circles. You know, deer migrate in circles. If you can just find one spot of that circle and know what time of the day the deer is there. Now, I've never done that in 30-some years of hunting, but I've tried. Uh, uh, It takes time and effort to know that. And what do we do? We wander in circles. And God's saying, listen, I don't want you just, you know, when in doubt, scream and shout, run in circles, scream and shout, right? Uh, Here's the cure. Search me, O God. Try me. Convict me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what this psalm is about. The Lord knows. He knows what needs to be changed. He's already searched me. He's already proved everything. He knows every thought. Here's the problem. Am I close enough to God? To get his conviction and to get his direction. That's what this psalm's all about. God already knows. Now, if you're a parent, there are some times when you know what's going to happen. Stop playing with the cabinet door. Stop playing with the door. You know that fingers are going to get pinched. And sometimes if it's not a big heavy door, like a little cabinet, okay. How long is it going to be? And then you hear the scream. And then you run out. And parents are well versed in this. That's why I told you to stop playing with the door or the drawer or whatever it happens. Now, if your kid's playing with a kitchen knife, please. Don't stand by and watch things happen. That is not. It is time to uh, arrest all movement and remove dangerous article. Somebody said, what do you do with your kid if they want to play with the stove? Oh, you get those special handles that fit over that the children can't. No, you don't. You teach them not to do it. 
I mean, there are just certain things that your children can't do. Or they're going to get hurt. Or they're going to hurt other people. And you can run away from that or you can embrace it. And that's what David is doing. He's saying, God, I'm like a little child. I want you to convict me. And I want you to lead me. Because I know your direction is best. And sometimes that's a scary prayer. Asking for God's leadership. You know, sometimes, has the Lord ever told you just sit still and be quiet? Just to stop? You know, I think I fear that the most. As long as I can be doing something, I feel better about it. But when I just have to sit still and wait on the Lord, i tell you what, that takes faith. I've often joked about it, but I'm, not, I'm very serious. The lock on the office door works both ways. It can keep you from going outside the office and doing something stupid and messing up what God wants to do. Sometimes He just says, be still. That's hard. Especially when there's so much to be done. But you can't improve on God. You can't do anything better than what He wants you to do. You know, it's a, this is one of the great Psalms. I believe it was John Gill, the, the Baptist preacher from the 1600s, that said this is... One of the most magnificent, magnificent psalms in all the Bible. It's arguably the most magnificent psalm in all the Bible. Because it just simply, in such easy to follow terms and direction, goes from the fact that God knows everything about me to the fact that He's everywhere in this universe. And yet, even before I was born, while I was conceived in my mother's womb, He knew everything that I would do. Search me, try me, and lead me. God already knows. Are you willing to get close enough to God for Him to convict you and to lead you in the direction He wants you to go? Beautiful, beautiful psalm. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for this psalm. We thank you for all the things that it has inspired through the years. Lord, the answers that it gives us to those who want to say that life isn't life until the baby breathes air and all of these things. That life isn't life until we say so wrong. Life is life because God gives it. And Lord, we just ask that you would give us direction. And that you would give us blessings. And that you would give us ability to be convicted and to be changed so that we can walk in the way to everlasting life. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, won't worry about the piano tonight, but just a moment if you need to slip out and pray and then we'll get into our prayer time.
And all God's people say. All right, let's look at our prayer list. This is our prayer list for our missionaries.